This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 21. The Beatles Get Back, Succession Season 3, and what we watched over the holidays. To iFanboy Media Explode. It's the first one of the new year. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi there. 
And Ron Richards. Happy New Year's, my friends. It's another year of this. <laughs> we already did that bit on the radio. Oh, show. right. I'm sorry. Well, I don't. I, you this can is do my it time. This is my time to do the bit. It's fine. It's uh, <laughs> oh god. I had to yell at somebody much younger than me who thought they knew about podcasting, and I was like, "Listen, we've been doing. We've been." <laughs> the, the, the concern was they were worried about people sounding the same and the listeners not being able to understand who's talking. And I said, listen, we've been doing this for 17 years. I think people have figured it out. <laughs> have they? We haven't got those emails in a while. That's yeah, true. All right. So this is the iFanboy Media Split unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash iFanboy. Thank you for being a patron. If you are one, they unlocked this show for you to listen to every month. We took December off to do our all media year in spectacular. So we haven't had this conversation since November, which means there's a lot to talk about. And normally... We're somewhat current. What we'll talk about this one is going to be about a lot of stuff that happened in the last two months because we haven't had a chance to talk about it with each other. So that's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to start it off with our Triple W segment, what we watched over the holidays. Josh, while we were on break, what did you watch? Oh, I'm sorry. Spoiler warning. We try not to spoil things, but there may be spoilers. But listen, but we we always do. So we try (laughs) not to, but it's inevitable. Yes. (laughs) So the new season of Queer Eye came out. And I don't watch a lot of reality shows. I don't mean to sound like a big snob, but A, I am a big snob. And well, well, also, they're not like, like for me, it's funny because a friend of mine watches all those horrible wives shows, Mm -hmm. like the The Housewives. Housewives, And I'm just like always so disappointed when she talks about it because I think she's really smart and like really. You know, a lot of smart people do watch those. Like John Oliver's obsessed with them. But like, but but my whole thing is that like there's only so many hours in the day and I don't want to waste it on trash. There's an enjoyment to it. There's, you yeah. know, it's like it's like anything. Either way, I really, I'm just not into it. My thing now isn't that it's trash. It's that I don't know. I can spot the formula, so I just see that's them a problem too. Yeah, like every time. But I watch Top Chef and I watch Queer Eye, and actually, I think Queer Eye is one of the more sincere shows. Yes. In that realm, and I really liked the original one a long time ago, and I actually think this one is better. I like the how-to of the old one. Like if you go back and watch those old ones, which yeah. they they put them back out on Bravo, like after the the new one hit, caught mm-hmm. fire again, and it was sort of shocking to see them because yeah. the new one is much more about making them into a better person. Well, see, at least they spend the more thing. time talking about that than the nuts and bolts of picking out new furniture. Or why certain clothing works. This one's more about making people feel better about themselves. On the original, there was it really was more of a how-to. Here's how you and yeah. I, listen. I learned a shitload that I still yeah, a today. lot of practical tips in the first one. And then later, they actually tried to switch to a more model like this one, and it sucked. I remember it because the guy I used to work for executive produced it. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> rough, rough one. So the new one came out, and I was like, oh, they're doing this thing, but they're doing it better because there's something about those personalities that work really well. Anyway, I remember they did a Japan season, and it it, it wasn't great. I don't think I even finished it. Yeah, so it this one starts up, and like we were kind of instantly hooked in. What I thought was really interesting is that, and I finished it, like watched all of them, is that the people, they're not choosing like young, pretty people. Like the people were all over the map. And also, this season was all about, they were in Austin, and it was all people who like did genuinely good work for people. There was a, a guy who has a homeless foundation who's trying to get many people, you know, housing and jobs and all that stuff as possible. There was a lady, she's a doctor, and she was a black lady who had started an entire, like, COVID testing facility for people in underserved communities. And it just went on like that. And, like, all the people they talked to were, like, really good people. And not, like, bullshitty good people. I don't know. It just makes you feel good about yourself. And it's even the point where some of the hosts were really coming into their own personalities even more, I think. It was a really good season, and it was really like, let's watch another one. Let's do another one, except for the one with the prom. I didn't watch that because it wasn't about a person, but we'll do it later. Oh, uh, that one was okay, though. Yeah, I, 
I think the benefit to what the show is they move around the country. Mm-hmm. So like yes. the original one was based in New York and it's basically people in the tri-state area. This season was Texas. Previously they did Atlanta. They did like the Rust Belt in one of them. Like so they've been going Oklahoma, around to different yeah. to different regions of the country and that's been really interesting as well. I also think that it's one of those things where like well, the first, like the first one is uh, is this guy who is a veteran who uh, is now a rancher, and you just get this sense like these are folks who are not, you know, it's it's a little bit reaching across a political void in a really subtle way. Well, one of the guys never heard of the show. Yeah, and I, think I, it was, just, I don't know if it's that guy or not, but one of them had never yeah. didn't had no idea what was going on. It's a really good show. It makes you feel yeah. good, and uh, it didn't disappoint. It got better. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I forgot what it was, though, so why don't you talk and come back to me? <laughs> I wrote it down earlier. You did write it down earlier. You said it was going to be... Uh, oh, I know. Real quick. Yeah. Real quick. F is for Family. F is for Family is the animated series on Netflix. It's starring and showrun by Bill Burr. You love Bill Burr. I do. I love yeah. Bill Burr. New England will stick together, Ron. I know. It's everything about Boston and New England rage from an earlier time in the world that just reminds me of growing up. Not necessarily in a good way, but in a comfortable way. F is for Family is basically a sitcom, not unlike The Simpsons, that is set in the 70s. And it is like this view into a world that the three of us grew up in that does not exist anymore. And it is not concerned about doing the right thing or teaching a lesson or trying to be careful. It is not insensitive. Jerks are jerks and, you know, like racists are bad and all that stuff. But there's just jokes that you you could not get had you not grown up watching television commercials in the early 80s. And it really puts me in a place. And also is very funny. Great cast. You know, Sam Rockwell is the neighbor. That's the only one I can think of right now. Uh, actually, this, Michael K. Williams is one of the cast members, and it was kind of a bummer when he goes on. At one point, there was three episodes in a row, and every one of them had an in-memoriam at the Oof. end from somebody who had died. And one of those, Michael K. Williams, the two others were executive producers, and I was like, Jesus, they got hit really hard. But I think this is the third or fourth season, and I really look forward to it. And I just plow through them. It, it's a really fun show in the vein of, it like... If you grew up with The Simpsons early on, you know, I think that this has a lot of that. The golden years? Yeah. The first 10? Yeah, the really <laughs> kind of, not not without, like, The Simpsons early on were a lot of, there was a lot of film references and stuff from yep. but there was also a comment. The Conan years? Yeah, there was also a lot of comment on family in, in ways that they, I don't, I don't think they do anymore, but it was raw, it was dark. Yeah. There's a lot of so the show evolved. It was a different show in the first couple of seasons. You don't win right. friends with salad. You don't win friends with salad. To this day. <laughs> okay, okay. No one can mention a salad. All right. <laughs> Great show, though. Really funny. Ron, what did you watch over the break? Well, I'm not really talking over the break, but here we are in the new year. What am I watching in the new year? Because honestly, I didn't watch much over the break, uh, sadly. Honestly, I did. I finished The Flash season seven, finally. <laughs> Which I don't want to talk about. Speaking about <laughs> spending your time washing trash, what were you saying? <laughs> I watched like five of them on the treadmill, so like that's that's something, you know. Training for the half marathon, I didn't. You could have watched Bridge on the River Kwai, but and I've seen it, seen Dr. it. Chivago. Who's the guy at the gym on the treadmill watching Bridge on the River Kwai? Be that guy, Ron. Be him. Be that guy. Be that guy. You go to the gym, but I did because it was freaking cold, and I was suppo- I was training for a half marathon that I didn't run. Don't get me started. Anyway. So, you know, New Year, ooh, what's new on TV? I'm only one episode in, but I wanted to bring it up, bring it up to get on your guys' radar as well as everybody else's. Discovered over on, on – I'm becoming a PBS guy. 
But the latest uh, Masterpiece series is Around the World in 80 Days, starring David Tennant. Oh, I've heard about this, yes. And we watched the first episode, and it was delightful. It was really it was, it was was really engaging, well-produced, just like maybe it's a little bit because I'm coming off of the Michael Sheen, David Tennant series, you know, pandemic series that we love so much. And while I enjoy David Tennant, I don't actually watch him in a lot of things. I think before that, the only thing I watched was Good Omens. Uh, alias. He was the Purple Man. Yeah, but that was uh, it. Wasn't called Alias. It was called Jessica Jones. So that was like I was like, oh, she, sorry, Mister Marvel. He was in the Jennifer Garner show. Really, one episode in, and it's great. And we're, we're, it's a weekly release on PBS, and watching it on the PBS app on my TV, and it's a uh, you know, and it's it's a, a you know, an adaptation of the. It was funny because my wife actually thought. It was more of a reality series of David Tennant traveling around the world. And then we started watching it. And she's like, oh, it's an adaptation of Jules Verne. I was like, yes. <laughs> and I was excited to see an adaptation of Jules Verne. So, yeah. And it's you know classic story. Great actor. So uh, good stuff. So uh, that, that's, that's my pick going into the new year. But then also coming out of the all media roundup that we did in early July, you know, we always make a point of saying how – you know, a bunch of movies come out in December and, and, you know, at the end of the end of the year that we don't get to see before we record. Um, I finally, I felt like it was the last week I could go. I finally got to the theater to see West Side Story in the theater. It was just a couple of nights ago, but I'm in the same way that like the Phantom Thread stuck with me. Mm-hmm. This has been sticking with me as well because the movie finished and I got that feeling I had after like watching episode seven where I was like, oh, this wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you know, right? and then and so then the whole way home and then that night I'm reading reviews and like the reviews are just like comically positive, you know, stupid rhetoric like Spielberg turns the action up to 11 and like on this classic and like reinventing the legend, you know, like all this like kind of stupid review, like reviewer speak, which I just had to fil- filter stuff. out. Yeah, which is like which is so silly because, you know, and just to lay all my cards on the table, you know. Huge fan of the 1961 film. I mean, who isn't? You know, yeah. you know, grew up watching it. You know, really, really close to my heart. You know, several mom- key moments of my life were around watching that film, which I, which I, I truly, duly love. You know, love the source material, and it's fantastic. And so, going into this film, really, the X factors are. You know, it's all the same songs. It's so it's the it's you know the performances, and then obviously, of course, the direction and filmmaking of Spielberg. Right. So, like all the reviewers who are just like. West Side Story never looked this good. And like there was one that was comparing Tonight, uh, you know, the yeah. duet between Tony and Maria. And someone's like, you know, in the 1961 version, it's just it's just medium shot after medium shot. And here Spielberg gets more dynamic. Like that's fucking 1961 to 2021. Like, of course, yeah. the like it's going to look better. We make the better movies. cameras movie. are li- lighter now. Exactly. Cameras are lighter. You can do more stuff. You can look at what you shot right. that day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, like, I had to throw all the window out about the technical achievement of Spielberg's, you know, vision and really d- drill into, like, what it was. And there were some subtle changes to the film. Have you either, have you either seen it yet or are you planning no, on seeing it? Okay. No. Well, I don't want to spoil it. So let me I have the same problem you have. I, I love the original. I just yeah. I don't have any desire to see I love Spielberg, but I don't have any desire to see a new, the new version. I mean, how, how much spoilery do you want, Connor? Do you not want to know? I don't give a shit. I, I said Connor. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Spoil it for the world. I did like how it picked up the true story of the film shooting in the backdrop of the of the movie. So, like in in the original in the in the first movie. And by the way, people are always like someone on social media commented they're like the 1961 movie is perfect. They didn't need to reboot it or remake it or whatever. And it's like I have no problem with that. Like it was a play. 
the original production of a play happens, it goes away 20 years later, they do it again. Like I'm fine with them making another movie of the same material. It's no different than theater. And it's always a little different. And like, I actually like discussing the differences. So I'm okay with the fact that like, I don't see this as a remake. It's just like, he picked up that script and made it like that's, that's fine. But I did like the tweak that they made where the whole story happens on the backdrop of the West side getting raised to build Lincoln center. Yeah, because that was a Puerto Rican neighborhood, which is what really happened yeah. when they were filming the movie originally, right? Like so, like so, like a nice little kind of you know kind of symmetry there. Some of the songs they moved for the 1961 movie in order, they moved back to the play order, which honestly makes more sense from a from a storytelling standpoint. So that was good. I thought the performances were great. The kid playing Riff is fantastic. I think he was in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Like he's a th- he's a, a theater person he was great but just some walking out of theater something just like is getting at my craw and i don't know what it is i think it boils down to and you guys know this i'm not the biggest spielberg fan Mm -hmm. and there just seemed to me to lack a certain like joy de vive you know like in terms of the film like there seemed to lack a certain fire in some of the scenes and some of the stuff but several days in and it's still sticking with me i'm still thinking about it which i believe is a a sign of a good film like if it doesn't you know like if if it makes you think and and all and i've been going through that process and talking about it and all that sort of stuff i want more people to have seen it so i can talk to them about it but you know it's great to re you know to revisit those songs see it in the theater seeing a different backdrop you know see you know and and uh different performances so I, I enjoyed getting out to the theater to see it. I did purchase this seat to the left and the right of me to ensure that I had a clear bubble of no interaction with anyone, though. <laughs> Look at Richard M. Pennybags the Third over here. Well, it's a movie, they're not as expensive in the suburbs than they were in the city. So I'm like, what am I do- what else, what else am I doing? What am I saying? Do- Listen, I, d- I canceled the freaking vacation, all right? I can go to the movie <laughs> and feel safe. So anyway, those are my things. So. So the the winter holidays is like the one of the few times I actually sit down and watch like streaming shows. And this year, uh, when I was in New York visiting my family, getting uh, COVID close contact and having to go into quarantine, I, I definitely did that because I had <laughs> nothing else to do. So I ended up watching four full seasons of shows. Wow. Plus one streaming film. I watched, we won't get into all of them because we don't have time. Queer Eye, like Josh, on Netflix. Don't Look Up on Netflix, which I wouldn't recommend watching the day before Christmas. <laughs> Letter Kenny season ten on Hulu. Watch that. How did that show get to ten seasons? By the way, I saw that because there are only like, six episodes. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long, a long time, but it's only six episodes. They did not come out. Canadians yeah. don't waste your money. But the two I wanted to really sort of focus on one was the Wheel of Time season one on Prime. Oh, you know everyone's trying to do Game of Thrones. Prime's got Wheel of Time. They're also doing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and there's The Witcher and Netflix. Everyone's trying to get their fantasy thing going on. And I never read the Wheel of Time books. Have either of you guys read those books? No, no. I've been aware of them forever. Yeah. I thought this was really, really bad. Wow. You said that, and I was curious in what way and what Which that is a means. bummer, because a friend of mine works on it, and that's part of the reason why I watched it to begin with. It, look, I don't know. I haven't read the book, so I don't have context, and that's part of the problem, is I don't think they did a we good job. We shouldn't have of, to. Uh, right. I think they, they didn't do a good job of explaining the world. It took you deep into the season, and this was like a eight-episode season, I think, until you really got any sort of reasons of why people were doing things or what their relationships were, and... I didn't know anyone's names until like the very end. Uh, they just didn't stick. It's like the recent Star Wars problem. Right. Name anyone from Rogue One. I can't. Right. I don't know any of their names. The blind guy. Donnie. Donnie Yen? Right. Wait, that's <laughs> the actor. Damn it. <laughs> I couldn't tell you his name. A minor thing, but it's important in, in things like this, is that the world didn't feel lived in. Like everyone's costumes were really clean. Oh, man. Like they'd just been dry cleaned. Huh. And everyone was sort of clean themselves. You know, Game of Thrones, everyone's dirty. 
Yeah. You know, the armor's dented and old. It was a used universe. It's the Star Wars thing. This yeah. was like literally everyone had been blow dried and dry cleaned before they stepped in front of the camera. And I was like, I don't believe these people are living in this dingy little village. They have no dirt on them. It was just a lot of stuff like that. How long were you into it before you were like, this is terrible? And why did you push from there? Two episodes. Oh. And you, and you watched the whole place? thing? I told you, a friend of mine works on it. I wanted to give the full benefit of the doubt. Ron and I should work on something terrible <laughs> and like make it really long. I wanted to be able to say to them, if I saw them, that I watched the whole thing. I didn't want to be like, well, I watched two and dropped off. And then... Okay, let's role play that conversation out. So, hey, Connor, did you watch my new show? I'm not having this conversation on this show. What did you everything, think of it? Like Everything that's, that's... that happens before I didn't like it is pointless. <laughs> so, you know, I just... It's just frustrating because I, you know, I loved Game of Thrones and I love a new fantasy series. I heard everyone seems to love Witcher. Maybe I'll give that a try. I can't take Witcher seriously for some reason. I just didn't find this good at all. I, and the reviews seem to be all over the place on Wheel of Time. Although it got renewed for a second longer season, so it must have been watched enough. It's interesting because like, when I watched Foundation at first, I was like, oh, this is insufferable. And I went back and tried to watch it and it hooked me a little bit. And by the end, I did really like it. And I, I saw the quality of it. It sounds like it went the opposite way. You know, like anything, there's a couple of scenes that were good. Uh, there were some characters I liked. None of the actors are overly compelling. Like, you know, in Game of again, Game of Thrones, but everyone's yeah. trying to make it Game of Thrones. Like the actors are all, even if you didn't know them before, by the end of an episode, you're like, who was that actor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, it's not like that at all. That's what kills me about all this sort of stuff. Is just like, don't try to make another Game of Thrones. Right. Like, no, like no, there was nothing. There was nothing like Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones came out. Make your own thing. Well, Wheel of Time's been around forever, so it's not like it's an untested property. Sure. No. It's been a lot longer than the Ice and Fire books. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I did enjoy it. Then the other one I watched, I really enjoyed, was Reservation Dogs on Hulu. Uh, the first oh, season I've been of that. To check that out. It includes your favorite Bill Burr. In it, Josh. Yeah, it does. He's very good in a mostly dramatic role in one episode. It's about life on a reservation in Oklahoma, and these teenagers who are desperate to get off of it, and they will do anything they can. It starts off with them being petty criminals trying to raise money to get to move to California. But half-hour episodes, Taika Waititi is one of the creators of the show. What can't that guy do? I don't want to give short shrift to the co-creator who actually runs the show, who is the showrunner. Native American? Sterling Harjo. So this is the first show ever. It's entirely written and crewed by American Indian production people. So it's all behind the scenes. So it feels very authentic. And it was funny. It's goofy. It's got that Taika Waititi kind of goofiness to it. But then there's an undercurrent of sadness to it. And then that starts getting explored about halfway through. And it, the tone's really interesting. And I really liked it. I'm looking forward to more of it. It was one of the best things I watched over the break. Hmm. Uh, of all the many things I watched over the break. And that's on Hulu, right? It's on Hulu, yeah. Before we move on, am I the only one who is partaking in Boba Fett yet, or have you guys started watching it? I watched the first one. I haven't watched it. Oh, yeah, Josh, you watched the first one. Okay, yeah, well, we got to – let's all make a date to finish, and at the end of it, we'll talk about it, because I have I have opinions. I don't agree to that. You don't what? I don't I don't agree to that. I don't know that I want to watch it. No, I, I, you should watch it so we can talk about it here. <laughs> right, but I don't want to. Right, no, but come on. Do you think I want to be here now? <laughs> oh, tell him you worked on it. I, Connor, don't you know I worked on it? Come on. <laughs> Everything I read about it says I'm not going to like it. I think you should watch it. Josh? I want to know how much I'm not going to like it. Because I can tell you, I watched the first one and I did not like it. I, I, oh, oh, man. I got, I, got, I got opinions. But I, but I need, I, I can't, I don't want to sully. I so have like, a feeling that this is tying in to the Tales of the Bounty Hunters or Tales of Jabba's Palace in some way. No, no I think it's tying into the cartoons and all the stuff we didn't watch. No, no, I meant I meant and Ron's the prequels feelings on it is what it felt like. No, 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 no. I, I wish. Oh, God, I wish. Okay. I'll just leave it at this. I would never have anticipated the feelings, the thoughts I have about it that I have. 
you're biased. I'm not biased. I'm not biased at all. Sure. I'm not. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. That means you're biased. No, no. Trust me. I'm not biased. Not biased in that direction. Okay. All right. Yeah. So maybe we will watch the book of Boba Fett and talk about it when it's over. I don't know. I'm gonna Next episode, we'll talk about Boba Fett. Thank you, Connor, for committing. <laughs> I've been practicing uh, visualization of things that I want. I just, oh. I, I conjure them. You're to actualizing happen. it? Yeah, actualizing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most unron thing <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's 2022, like, man. He's got, he's got a dream board up. He's got a dream board. I do. I do. Oh, boy. Sorry. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. There was two things that happened while we were on break or sort of on break or not able to talk about it. One was that Succession Season 3 ended. So we want to talk about that before we move on to our sort of main topic of the show. All right. Succession Season 3 finished at the end of the year. It was somewhat COVID hampered. You could tell by some of the shooting. I do love the, the creative choice that they made to that COVID did not happen in the world of Succession. Yes. Which is that great. is the best choice to make. Yeah. All the shows need to do that because yeah. too many shows go halfway. They start talking about it and they forget about it. Yeah. On Swagger, it did, and I was annoyed, but I think by the end for that show, it made sense regardless. The best so far has been Grey's Anatomy because they did an entire season where they were just ravaged by COVID. And then the new season started this year and it started with like a black screen and text. And it goes basically saying, we've decided it's better to pretend it's over. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's still happening and you can donate so here. half the country. <laughs> the morning show on Apple TV was really good. And then the second season was all about COVID coming in. And it was always these, it was these things in the background, you know, like, why is that person wearing a mask? Well, it's like this is us said that for one season, and it's just like it's so bad. Clearly, people don't want to write about it anymore as much as we don't want to be living in it. And so just don't do it in the first place. I will tell you, though, that when I watched Succession, I didn't think about that. I no. didn't notice. Yeah. I did, like, there was not a thing for me because I was a thousand percent into it. And also, I have to pay full attention. It's one of the only things in my life that I have to pay and can pay full attention to. And you yeah. have to get an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> That's all made up shit, I think. If you look in the be- in the beginning, it's all like they're all very sort of siloed. Yeah. That's the only thing. Like they're you know, they're all in various countries in like rooms. It's just four people. Like there's not a lot of interaction. In the right. Yeah. That's the only yeah. the COVID stuff. But the big cliffhanger season two was that the eldest son of the Roy family went on the news and basically called out his father and their company and started the schism within the family. And this this is the fallout of that. Did you both watch two live, or did you both catch up on two? No, I caught up on both. I, I watched them both. So this is your first time watching it week to week? Yeah, I watched two live, I think. I caught up on one, I watched two live, and then back for this. Yeah. I honestly, I didn't, at first, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that this show was like a satire. I thought it was just another like serious family, and I didn't get that. And then I heard that Jesse Armstrong was the showrunner, and he created Peep Show, which is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time. And I can, I can completely see, like, I didn't know it was funny. And now, and then, you know, once I sort of realized that, uh, I got way into it. Uh, by the end of the second season, like, we were a thousand percent hooked. So we could not. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting tone because it clearly is a satire, but at the same time, it also is super dramatic. Yeah. I don't know another show like that. Yeah. There's, the tone is unbelievable because they both work. Yeah. But clearly, there's a lot of, I mean, some of the characters, they, I don't know, they just tread this line that, but, but like, this season had people just acting ridiculously. But they just played it a thousand percent straight. You know, like everything Kendall did this season would have been played for laughs on something else. So they had him play it completely straight. And so you kind of don't know where you stand to a certain extent. 
Well, I will say it's funny because it's like I know that we're so excited to talk about this season and and the show in general, and I do think the show is great, but it was a fun season and ended really strong, but it meandered in the beginning. You know, you're not wrong. I oh, think that's the that COVID part. No, not even it's that. So, I think they no. I think they, they, drew, they drew out the cliffhanger much longer than I thought they should yeah. have. Yeah. And the storyline of Logan being on the run and all these other places, yeah. as soon as they stopped doing that and they got into this merger stuff in the back half of the series, like everything there was gold. Yes, yes. Like you're not wrong, but I, like it was so – that second half – was so good that I forgot about that. And then by, you know, by the, literally, you know, the end of that, the, you know, the season finale, like I jumped up and yelled and I didn't <laughs> do that. Right. I think the turning point was the Adrian Brody episode. Mm-hmm. That's when they were back sort of in the world. The first couple episodes, they were on, on the run. They were, that was right. the COVID protocols. And then they, they yeah. go back to the world. It got much more interesting once they all got to interact with each other. But that kind of bridged the gap between this yes. rift in the family and then, but them, you know, having the, the proxy vote and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, like that, but that was the real kind of turning point where it was like, okay, this is something, something good's, good's happening here. But I would qualify this with saying a lot of the business stuff yeah. is real deep and over our heads. Again, I'm not entirely sure that's real, but I did in the, in the sort of middle of the season. I looked at Lindsay and I go, I'm not sure what's going on. And if I do, I understand it just about as well as Cousin Greg. <laughs> that is where I am. You know, but uh, Enough to hold on to the main thrust of the narrative. Yeah. Right. So this whole season was about uh, will the Roys lose the control of their company? There are several people trying to take a, uh, out from under them, including Kendall Roy, the oldest son. So... There's a lot of machinations. You also have the daughter, the sister, Shiv, kind of stepping up after, you know, the first two seasons, you know, first season not being involved in the family at all, right? Like, you know, this season kind of taking her shot. That was a strong through line through the whole season, which is how she navigated the play. And her fall from maybe not being an asshole. Yeah. No, no, you're you're exactly like them, which makes sense. It's kind of has to be. You know, it's interesting to me is that this season was the one where Kendall's off the reservation. I don't know a more annoying character on any television show. Wait, who's like, supposed to be the hero? Right, exactly. But also, like, it was a really frustrating character, but it, not in the way, like, I wanted him to get off screen. Like, you, I just wanted the thing to happen that would make him fall. Then you have Roman, who on the surface is this... It was the worst. Just horrible, <laughs> worst. But, but he plays it with something that you kind of suspect it's a wall. He's the biggest heart of all of them. Yeah. It's crazy he wouldn't go along with a letter that was they were trying to write to destroy kendall and then when kendall had his breakdown near the end uh, shiv walked away yeah and mm-hmm. roman went over and, and you know put his hands on his shoulder like he has a lot of problems that and that must be the most fun watching it is every week mm-hmm. something crazy would happen with one of the kids but it all made sense for their character well and, that, and that's the thing is that like i spent a lot of the season actually rooting for roman because where the past two seasons he was kind of this fuck up and this weird kind of thing or whatever, but like again this season much like Shiv was like making his play, trying to you know like he, he brokered the deal for the potential merger and was you know winning over his father, and then in the moment where like he pulled it off, uh, then the dick pic happens that he sends to his dad. And, uh, That's what I jumped off the couch. I was I, like, oh. Me too. <laughs> yeah, 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 and they they you lingered with it for a long time. Oh. You had to sit there, you know. The, but at the same time, like one of the things that's the most fun about the show is you trying to figure out where the people are in their thinking and what their motivation yep. is. This is the true Game of Thrones successor. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's true. Like, what is Tom's deal? Right. You know, and you can come, but but he's so, everything he does is golden. 
just <laughs> like yep. he, as a performer, as a, I love that actor. I don't think that I, he didn't get Matthew as famous as I thought he would. Yeah. Uh, Matthew McFadden. Does he really love Shiv? And like, I think he does. And like, does he hate Greg or does he love, he just needs a lackey? Like there's all of this nuance to everything that's going on. And there's no real correct answer, you know, unless you watch that little featurette at the end of the show and they give you the answers, which I try not to watch. I did watch it after the finale because I was like, is what I think happened? just happened or are they fucking with me and it's totally what happened i just and oh what i think is fascinating about the show is that logan is never gonna give up until he dies no no so like the kids keep jockeying for position and favor and he keeps dangling little bits of praise or a promotion or promises in front of them and they they snap at it like you know they're starving and it's the only food they've seen in months but he's never gonna He's never going to give up control, and they keep running into that brick wall together. The scene with Matson, with the with the tech CEO that they're trying to acquire, yeah. and Roma goes to meet with them, and he basically says, "You know, how, how many more years does your dad have?" Right, which right. is like, which is blunt and honest and true, but like, man, like that—that's pretty much, you know, that—that's what it is, and that's why the ending was so shocking. Like when it started turning in the direction of potentially Logan making a deal and getting out, it was just like I couldn't believe it. I was a little like, wait, what's he wouldn't do this? But right, that last episode where, first of all, the last couple episodes that took place all in Tuscany, it was like all very Shakespearean, like it was yes. just incredible. Yeah. Well, this is King Lear. Yeah, so the kids finally talk. Kendall collapses in that road, and they have that whole scene, that whole beautifully composed shot of them, oh. like a painting, where you know, one's laying down, one's kneeling, and one's standing. So good. And then they come together like the Justice League to take out their dad, and I was like, holy shit, am I excited? Yeah. Like, yeah, I got were. really emotional because, you know, this is a sibling group that has been ripped apart, and now they're, they're realizing that they're strong together, and they love each other, and, and I bought into it 100%. I, yep. was, I was so excited for it. And then the stab in the back, which seemed like that was oh. out of nowhere, but then it re- wasn't if you had all thought no. about it for two seconds. Right, and if you watched it play out, because like, cause that's the thing, that's the thing, was that the, like once it happened, I, it all snapped into place, but like you watched it happen in front of you. It like, was like the last shot of The Godfather when yes. through the door and the door shuts. It was like that when Tom walks in, and you're just like, oh, fuck. Yep. Oh shit! And then they all realize it while you're realizing it. Oh, it was just beautifully uh, done. So I beautifully think done the, finale. The, the most important moment, not counting that one, of the season is Tom goes to meet Kendall. Kendall is meeting with everybody. Yep. All trying to get him, season, yeah. trying to get them all on his side, and he fails and fails and fails and fails. And Tom, Tom, who is Tom, will do a lot to get ahead. Like his perception is right and wrong like in a big way and also like that's all he's got my guess is like he's just really good at putting himself in the right place and saying the right thing just enough to keep him there but not really excel anyway they're in the parking lot tom is trying to leave and the last thing tom says is you know you you always lose and logan always wins and i was like that's the Chekhov's gun like Logan's going to always win. He just he yeah. has to, but the, the characters can't go. And then Kendall did that thing where he took a picture of him for a really long time. That was important, but really it, it's always about Shiv and Tom. So when Tom went to yes. Shiv and he, she basically said, you know, reiterated all the things, all the horrible things she's done to him or said to him in that moment. said, I don't love you. I don't love you. I tried to get you to have an open marriage on our wedding day. Like, all these things came back up, and do I have a place in your regime? Well, we'll talk about it. You know, right. that's the moment it's over. He is calling Logan immediately after that. 
And he really loved her. I believe that. That's no, I do too. I, yep. I do too. Convince myself about. Yeah. It's, it was fun. It was a really fun season. John, I agree with you. The beginning, you're like, okay, this is cool, but let's get to it. But once it got to it, it was like, well, oh, and and going back to the Turning Point episode with Adrian Brody. I know the articles were written about it, and I'll give Josh credit for calling it beforehand. But like the masterful wardrobe of Adrian Brody. <laughs> wearing 16 so layers, layers on an indeterminate weather day where that was the key <laughs> <laughs> they're out on long island or, or like hamptons or kind of sort of things and they're all bundled up but the kid is in the pool right? pool. <laughs> but still it's just, it just none of it made sense None of it. I kind of wish he showed up again, but I'm, yeah, I'm me too. I kind of wish he, he was, but yeah. I love that, you know, we talk all the time about how HBO still, amongst all of the platforms, HBO still does the best work. When it's good HBO. Right. But like the prestige stuff yeah. on the, the best whole. stuff is always the best stuff. There's yeah. nothing it, as good as Succession on any other platform. Yeah. And, and, you know, like this is a year where, I mean, the other good show, there was Mayor of Easttown and... Well, going back to Perry Mason. Perry Mason. Yeah, like the very best things that come on are, are still, like without question from there. Mm-hmm. And, and it's pretty consistent. I hope it stays that way. My, my wife was watching, I don't know, some show. It was on HBO. And I was like, is this HBO Max or HBO? She's like, Max. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> It's just they haven't announced a season four release date. I think it was two years between two and yeah, three, it was right? a long time. The cliffhanger just—I was like, I don't get to see what happens. I've never been so upset about not knowing. And also, I genuinely thought there was another episode because it was like a weird odd. It was a short season. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. yeah. So I thought I had gone into it thinking it was another, and then when the episode ended, I went, "Oh, well, we'll wrap it up next time." And Lindsay's like, "No," and Connor goes. It was two years since the last one. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is so bad. I'm thinking, I don't you know, I don't know anything and, and everything is, uh, who cares? But I can see the show going like five seasons. It could end, it could, one more season you could see it end. but Because you really can't keep spinning this wheel. Yeah, I mean, I mean. For the, like eight I mean, seasons. I, I thought that during the first half. My prediction, we'll do predictions if we want, is next season there's a time jump and it's where the kids are. In the new org, right? Assuming that the deal goes through, right? Like, but you know, I, what what happens to to Brian Cox then in that scenario? Right. My, my thing is all tied to him. Like, how long is Brian Cox going to keep doing this? And you yeah. can't do the show without Logan. So it's like maybe five. Five feels good. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> so they leaned in slightly too much this season on that, but I, the, there I was still the love it when he says it. Where he went piss mad, and they kept saying that, or the episode. <laughs> I have never laughed so hard as in my life as I did on that. There's a point where they they, they rush the imaginary dead cat by. <laughs> that was it pretty good. Happened, like it happened deep in the background. It was not focused on, but like we it was like rest of development. Rewound it. Like they just rushed the cat that doesn't the dead cat that doesn't exist. One of the aides and I was like, that would one thousand percent happen. <laughs> oh God. You oh can, I mean, boy! Like, like, seriously, do you guys hear me this excited about, about things? No, that's how no. much I loved this season. Yeah, it was oh, it's it great. So we love Succession season three, and I think the only thing that possibly could make Josh more excited to talk about than that would be the epic Peter Jackson documentary, "The Beatles Get Back," which came out the weekend of Thanksgiving in the United States, late November. And uh, oh boy, I mean, yeah. th- f- first of all, this is the only thing anybody seemed to be talking about for about three weeks. Oh, so good! Which Still is talking crazy to me because I don't give people credit. I mean, like the larger amount of people credit for still being able to, you know, find the Beatles. Well, it is the Beatles. As I do. Right. I know, but I just don't know where that ends. Like, I don't know if it does or, you know, like, is, are, 
Oh, God. You just made me think of one of the most painful memories of my life was when oh, I was Jesus. stuck on the F train coming home. My headphones died. And I had I was stuck next to two college students, you know, in that seats that are perpendicular. Yeah. And I was uh, stuck in the corner. And they were having a very deep college conversation about who will be the last person to listen to the Beatles. And I was just like, someone just blow this train up. Someone derail this. It is the most easy thing for generic nail a character's personality down if they say, well, the Beatles are overrated. And you're like, you, right. don't, you don't know anything. Right. You, you know nothing. Let's talk about this documentary. So coming out of the Let It Be. First of all, have you guys seen that documentary? No, you can't get no, it. No, I've, I've read about it for years. Yeah. And no, when we were growing up, it was at my video store. You oh, wow. Yeah, no, no, I never like saw it. Leg thing for your weird, cool New York City, you know, video store. Or... <laughs> I'm glad I didn't see it because this is so going un- into this totally untainted with no expectations. I didn't want to watch it to begin with because I didn't want to w- watch what it was purported to be. But Peter Jackson, the director of Lord of the Rings, took the technology that he used on his World War One documentaries. Excellent World War One documentary. They shall not grow old. They shall not grow old. He took the technology they developed at Weta, which was to run film through these processes that cleans them up, takes out all the bad noise on the film, makes it look like you shot it yesterday. And not only that, but ran all the film through an AI sound processor that took out the background musics when they're not playing the song so that they could actually hear the people talking when in the old film you couldn't hear them at all and uncovered hours of relevatory footage that was originally supposed to be one film 60 hours of film and 150 hours of audio and it was originally going to be one just a documentary film and they ended up cutting it into three two episodes. and a half hour yeah. episodes yeah well one episode was th- episode two which i thought was the best of the three was like yes. almost three hours and then two and a half two and a half yeah i want to start the hashtag release all the footage yeah I will watch all of it. Oh. So they're prepping and going to record the Let It Be album, which is came out last. Yeah, it came out, it came out last. So basically, Abbey Road came out before. before. Yeah, basically, the, wor- the, the world that you're in right now is it, it's, it's they had just come off of doing very studio intensive recordings for Sgt. Pepper's and then the self titled oh, The yeah. White Album, right? And there was a desire. I can't tell if it's either on all four of them or on Paul's hand, but to go back to their roots and try and record an album that is just the four of them playing live, like no studio overdubs and all that, like, you know, layering and production work. Yep. They're going to do it like they used to. They're going to record it on TV and they're going to do it live. They're going to do it live. So that's where we are here. And so the famous myth around this in the original documentaries, this is the moment that Beatles are breaking up. So... All the pre-press for this is what you're going to see is not what you're expecting. Right. Which I don't think that – I still don't think that's untrue. I, no, no. It's not untrue. Yeah, but it's not – But it's not as bad as it was made out to be. You've always been told yeah. that it was. Exactly. It's not even – well, this is, this is all – I mean, it's always apocryphal because even though the movie was released in some form and people saw it, you know, it was cut down so much that you couldn't tell. But I've read a lot of Beatles books and – I've never heard these sessions described as they were portrayed and we saw them at yeah. all. Yep. And I feel like you almost get the sense like, did you only show us the good stuff? And I was like, they showed us so much. Right. Right. Like they showed us some sniping, but they showed us a lot more like laughing and chuckling and and. No, you got you you really got a sense of of their relationships with one another. Like it was it was I almost at oftentimes watching it, I almost felt 
like I was invading, like I shouldn't be watching, you know, like, like it, it felt, you know, like it, it's had a fly on the wall capacity to it that felt like an invasion of privacy and something that was like unique and special, yeah. which is, I'm, I'm glad we got to see it, but it's still, but there was times where it's just like, oh man, this is like, as if like those hours we spent in Connor's apartment in Brooklyn filming the iFanboy video yeah. show years ago, like us, you know, joking around and, and the same thing, a bunch of friends making, making the stuff that they make. You know, like that was it was it was it was beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, especially that one hidden mic conversation, which yeah. has never been revealed before between John and Paul, and that was like succession. I literally jumped off the couch and went yeah. when they said, mm-hmm. you know, when they explained on the screen that this conversation was caught by hidden microphone. Yeah, and then what they said on it was so interesting. So there was a lot of moments like that where I felt somewhat bad, but also excited at the same time. Yeah. And also, I think anyone who hasn't seen this and who doesn't have any big affinity for the Beatles but is interested in creativity and songwriting and music, the way it's portrayed here of them just jamming out songs, starting out strumming and it ends up as a song was fascinating to watch. Yeah. I could have watched them I, compose all day long. I don't think that there's ever been anything like this, you know, to the extent of watching like a known songwriter create yep. songs or together and the fact that it's the Beatles doing it, it's so weird that it existed and no one like I mean, like, you you know Paul McCartney, you know, in a way. And, you know, some people know him more or whatever. But then when you see him in this setting, like, it, it all clicks. You're like, oh, I understand his personality. And you understand his creative process. And that is, I'm, you no one's ever seen anything like that. That's insane. Yeah. No, but especially when there's a, there's songs that are they're doing that everyone knows. Yeah, and, and you're watching, like, the first. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Oh. The famous bit in this is when when he he Paul he, Paul walks in and says, "Oh, I had an idea last night." Starts strumming out "Get Back," and then it becomes "Get Back" within three yeah. minutes. Like you know, "Get Back." Or at least we do. And so the whole time you're just yeah. like, "Oh, you're you're almost there. You've almost got it." Like you just trying to, uh-huh. or when they're doing the lyric, when trying to work out lyrics, you're just like, "Oh, you're so close, George. So close." Yeah. Like you just can't sort of scream at the TV, and you just it's because they're so the songs are so ingrained in the in the psyche to watch Paul casually walk to a piano and start banging out let it be in the background while other people are talking you're just like guys behind you there's writing a classic yeah like, like right I, now i mean all of the you know the, those people were not unaware of that though because there'd been a lot of classics already so yeah. they'd gotten so used to being I, i'm guessing when you're around the beatles all the time you'll just learn to ignore paul who never stops ever yeah but I mean, it was fascinating to see all those moments kind of happen, you know, like watching Get Back Get Made. Like I, I listened to, I, it was funny because a friend of mine was watching it, you know, a month after it came out. She finally got around to watching it. And I was like, oh, and like, let me know the moment you finish it. Because then I feel like, like amongst the three of us, we created like this appendix that, you know, of articles, like the articles about Glenn Johns and about Lindsay Hogg and, and about all that stuff like that. And then I feel like the Mark Marin WTF episode of Peter Jackson is, should be required listening after watching it because you get Peter Jackson's reflection on making it and the whole story of making it in the process and things like that. But like what got me was like when, you know, the few times that he talked to either Paul or Ringo, he said one of them was when he talked to Paul and he he had to know this moment of you writing get back did you did you start that at home and brought it there or whatever and paul's like no that was when i wrote it there like so he wanted to get to the essence of like the first moment we saw the first notes of the song which are there on film and we got to see it which is just so mind-blowing and so amazing and there's so many of those big moments but for me what really stood out was so many of the little moments yeah and little throwaway things like like when they are swirling all around the George quitting stuff, you know, like when George walked out, John made the joke. He's like, whatever, we'll just get Clapton, right? And then when George comes back and they're talking about adding Billy Preston to play on keyboards, which, by the way, from a musical standpoint, like 
all those songs were yeah. lost, and then Billy Preston comes in and like something snapped into place. That and like that just was amazing. Like Paul sits yeah. down and starts playing yeah. out of nowhere. And Immediately, like, oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, I think uh, did he played he played keyboard on "Don't Let Me Down." I think yeah, and they started playing and he was like, yeah. I was like immediately you got that <laughs> in my head for sixty years. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. But right around when they were talking about Billy Preston, George said something like they were I forget the exact conversation, but they're saying how wouldn't it be great if we just turned the Beatles into a bunch of people? And like George was like, yeah, we could get Dylan and whatever. And he's yeah. basically laying out the Traveling Wilburys. Yes. Yes. Which is just like crazy to think about, right? And so like little moments like that. And then b- above all, when I think about this, is just how witty and clever and goofy John Lennon was. And just like every time he looked at the camera and said, ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones, I just cracked up. <laughs> like it was just like like, ta- like like a running gag over days, yeah. you know, which is just like, like it, it made you want to be there, you know? Well, he's uh, also stoned out of his mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was gonna say there's there's like a lot I you know have read about these sessions, and I actually wish I wish they had had cameras for the White Album because I want to know the difference. Well, they were all separate, right? Yeah, yeah, but they were angry, and when they were together, it didn't work, and they were separate, and like right. they they describe you know everybody's so being depressed, and I've heard that about albums. Let It Be. Yeah. And then the story goes, you know, when they go to Abbey Road, it's like a whole different thing. I just read a book before I watched this on the making of Abbey Road. And they sort of describe it as sort of this last burst of creative energy. And they were really, you know, happy together all the way through. And then right at the end, a bunch of stuff happens and makes them not. But this doesn't seem like so much of a U-turn after what we just watched. Right. You know, at all. Like, I was like, oh, no wonder. There was certainly tension. Say, this, was, this was December, I think. Yeah. Basically, they're in doing Abbey Road in you know, March, April. Like it's not. It was long. January. They're doing Abbey Road in the summer. No, that's when it came. No, I just it, it's it's through May and everything. It doesn't. It's not the point. The point is a they did all these really close together, and b you know they seem to be generally pretty well on. And mm. I think they separated for a while and then came back. But it, the tension's always underlined. George is yeah. never super happy right. know, when he comes back. Sure, Paul never shuts up. Well. It, I want to get to discussing Paul in a second, but just to close off some of the little things, like you know, in the beginning when they're trying to, when they're moving from the studio, the TV studio, because they're originally going to shoot this as a TV special, and so they're in a studio, and Michael Lindsay Hogg is there trying to get uh. them to shoot in Libya the entire time. At one point, when they go to Abbey Road to record, they have to get like George's equipment because the label won't get him equipment. I'm like, the label won't get the Beatles equipment. Yeah. EMI was really weird about that, like, but it's just they... like it's just so crazy to think about. This isn't like early Beatles. They've already made them millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. They were such a rigid company in that sort of British style back then. EMI, yeah. They didn't know how to work outside of how they did. You know, like George Martin, they offered him to come back and they were going to quadruple his salary, which would have brought him to like 20,000 pounds a year. This is after the Beatles' success. And he was already like a freelance on his own producing and just, you know— reaping in all the rewards like they just didn't understand what's even funnier though is that they needed to get the piece of equipment you're talking about is they needed an a-track which at least when when i was in high school we got an a-track and it took like two of us to put into the car and then you know 10 years ago you get an a-track that one person can hold and now you can do it all with a laptop for their a-track they needed a van and six guys to (laughs) wheel it out you know like and and so four guys getting into the basement and and they were all in the the lab coats because that's what they had to wear i mean it was as as enthralling as watching the beatles make let it be and watch it all play out it was almost as enthralling for me to see everyone around them Right, whether in the clothing, yeah, in the clothing, yeah. Whether it was Glenn Johns or who was who was the tape guy, Josh, the the guy that that went on to become famous with Pink Floyd. 
Oh, Alan Alan pa- Alan Parsons. Alan Parsons. Al- Alan Parsons. Not- yeah, isn't no Alan Parsons? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just like the fact that so many, in fact, that there are all these people kind of surrounding them that don't have speaking parts on the on in in what we watch. But I just was so you know amazed at the machine around them, you know. And then it all culminates in the concert, right? Which which also in my head was this like I kind of conflated. Do you remember in the eighties when U two did a concert on top yep. of a roof? Yep. I conflated yep. the reaction to the YouTube concert to the reaction for the Beatles concert. And like I was kind of shocked as we were watching the rooftop concert in Get Back happen that like it wasn't as crazy as I thought it would be. Because like honestly when you think about it, that neighborhood was not ideal for being on the no. sidewalk and seeing the roof, right? It was like five, four or five stories up. You couldn't see what was going on. And they're playing songs that no one's ever heard before. It's not like they're up there playing, you know, like, I want to hold it your is. hand, right? Like, right. so it was just, it, it, you know, it was, but it was great to see that moment. Plus people were taking naps, Ron. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I do want to talk about that again, because that's the, that's the emotional catharsis of the entire yeah. experience. But first of all, before we get the idea of all the people around them, like, can you imagine... And I, I hate that we keep comparing ourselves, but can you imagine trying to do what we did with like 15 people just standing around oh, yeah. looking at you? Yeah, especially Michael Lindsay Hogg. But just like, you know, why are all these people here? Yeah. I'm trying to write a song. For me, this, you know, who broke up the Beatles is a fun game everyone likes to play. But to me, it makes it very clear in this movie who actually broke up the Beatles. And who was that? What are your guys' thoughts on who did that? I think that there's two answers to that, but they're related. You could on one hand say that George was the guy who broke up the Beatles, but you could on the other hand say that their complete dismissal of his songwriting talent was the reason for it, Paul and John. Yeah. And then at the same time, then you've got Paul trying to be the boss and their complete inability to accept that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, basically what broke up the Beatles, at least as far as I'm concerned, is the combination of, I mean, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's Brian Epstein dying. Bingo. That's exactly who broke up yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. They, they said it twice in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Once he died, there was no leadership, and Paul tried to fill the void, and they made them resent Paul. And- well, no, but Paul tried to fill the void with his girlfriend's dad, right? Which, well, but he, but eventually, like you see it here, things, he's him and the. Yeah. See, they Paul did that, but the other guys went with Alan Klein, and so right. they were against each other. Right. But by this point, they're already done before these guys even get involved. So, but the, as soon as they lose Brian Epstein, they have no more direction. They've got no more leadership. They start drifting apart. They say it in the movie. It's it's never been the same since Brian died. And that's the – it's not Yoko. She's basically a non-factor. Agree. Yeah, agreed. Yoko got a a shit deal in history as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's as soon as they lost the guy who kept them in line, the band fell apart. And it was just a matter of time. That, to me, is the clear message of this movie is that. Because you watch them. Like, in the beginning, they're trying to produce this TV special. Ringo is Ringo. Oh, Ringo. Ringo is great. No, but he's not the leader. No. George is angry. John's stoned out of his gourd. And so Paul's the only one who can do it. And then they all hate Paul for trying. Right, yeah. And so that's the dynamic they're dealing with because they've got no true leader anymore. And that's the end of the band to me. Yeah. What's interesting is that, you know, like John getting influenced by the Alan Klein guy and the Rolling Stones experience and what's going on and all that sort of stuff. And George and Ringo basically siding with John and all that, but was not not the right fit for them either, because the first thing he did was fired Mal and, fi- you know, like all, made all yeah. these changes and all this sort of stuff. But he also like their business was you know, the other side of that being their business was an utter. Arena. Yep, yeah. Nobody had been managing it. Brian Epstein wasn't great at managing it. They were about to lose and they did because they couldn't agree was the publishing on all their songs. Yeah. Right. There's a little hint of that in this one. 
And in fact, there's a bit at the end where like we have this meeting with Klein, the guy from the Rolling Stones, and you're like, ugh. Yeah. But the other thing is their deal was up with Capital, and he, but the thing is, he made all the deals. He had solved all of those problems, and because they couldn't get along, it torpedoed it. Right. Like he would have made them a shit ton of money because sure. they had money on paper, but they were not doing well. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting because again, he always gets painted like some scumbag, but really he was doing exactly what he said he would and made them a lot of money. There's other things to it, too, but that would have been true. So, Paul, real quickly. So you guys rag on Paul. Yeah, rightfully so. I don't take anything away from him. I just think he's annoying. Well, sure, but I think he gets a bad rap because he was so desperate to keep it going. Yeah. And he overdid it to try to keep it going. Yeah, sure. Like, Ringo would have kept going in the Beatles forever. George and John were, were flying off in different directions, and no one seemed to want to keep it going other than Paul, so he had to try to step yeah. in. And now his personality and all whatever didn't work. But to me, I felt that was like the heartbreak was you could see how desperately he wants this band. We'll do this show. We'll do this live. Yeah. It'll, it'll be like the old days. And he just so desperately wants... And then, you know, he goes, when he leaves, he goes off and forms another band and tries to recreate what he had before with the Beatles. And that doesn't happen. It's just, it just He was so desperate to keep that going. Yeah. I felt bad for him. Yeah, I can see that. I do feel bad for him. Half of their bands in the immediate aftermath were just two of the other Beatles. Yeah. Right. Like, they all did that over and over. Like, they tried to get away. Go ahead, and I'll... Yeah, no, I, I just... I, I, the, the Paul conundrum, I thought, was... was I wanted to go back on Yoko and give Josh a little credit because it's like, I do think Yoko got a bad rap. Yes, the relationship with John was is basically weird and codependent and, like, they just had to be touching each other at all times. It's so weird. But she wasn't bothering anybody. She wasn't, like, interjecting or, like, interfering. And I love how Peter Jackson made it all happen where, like, you spend several hours of seeing her just not be as awful as we were, you know, we grew up thinking and then, then they cut to them jamming and her just screaming into the microphone and you're like oh no no she's a crazy person <laughs> so, but John loved it yeah. like yeah. He, like he, this the breaking of the rule of the thing yeah. you know what kept occurring to me as I watched it and I don't think that I caught as so many of the details as you guys did I think you watched it a lot closer but I kept thinking a these guys are really young yes in the position they're in I mean they're in their like 26, 27? Uh, 20, yeah, yeah 20, 28, 29, but yeah. George's like, okay. George is like 26. Yeah, George was the but youngest, also, yeah, yeah. But also, they have never, George, you get, you've got you've got George Harrison bringing in all these songs that are yeah. just, you know, all-time, not all-time Beatles greatest, like, all-time greatest pop songs ever written. Yeah. And he's 26. And the, kept, the thing that kept occurring to me is that, like, they have been doing this and have been famous since they were children. Yeah. And the fact that they can do anything is amazing because they, they have no life skills. Yeah. This whole thing about when they grew up and the fact that they're British and living, like, can you imagine how emotionally immature these men were? Yeah. Yep. The fact that they were able to make anything work is amazing. Like, think about yourself when you're 26 and you're just fucking pontificating on how things are, and you didn't know shit. Right. And they're in there, and Paul's just like, well, you know, I think we should all, you know, and you're just like, oh... And I don't even mean it in a bad way. I, I, it's really just fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Because like at the same time, they look like kids. Because there was like one, I think it was the end of episode one or maybe episode two. It was when they were in the first studio and Red Row and George walked out. And you're just watching Paul trying to force them to write songs and force them to do the TV show and yep. like make all this stuff happen. And then the whole George thing happens. And then Paul is like climbing and hanging from the scaffolding of the camera rigs. And I was like, oh, he's just a kid. Right. Like, there's so much energy that all he can do is, is climb, and it's just like really kind of fascinating on that. Well, clearly he's got some ADD. Yeah. <laughs> there's never been anything more clear. There is a bit – So my, George has always been my favorite Beatle. 
because he's the one I maybe relate to the most and he just doesn't want to deal with anything. But they talk about doing this concert on a cruise. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) And they're trying to plan it. (laughs) George is like, but then we're stuck on the boat (laughs) with all these people and all he wants to do the entire time is go home. (laughs) It's all he wants. Like, he's 26, mind you. And he's been through it so much that he's like, ugh, a party. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, there's there's so so many layers to it. There's just so many things about it that I just like, and and, and definitely it is. It's a hard watch. It gets repetitive sure. and tedious towards the end. I didn't think that at all. Uh, I mean, the, I the, was the, enthralled. No, I think so. we watched them three nights in a row, and it was anything. a lot. I did that. You're unusual. You said you watched it in one day. Yeah, I watched the first two in one day, and the second right. One. I couldn't do that. I don't have that kind of attention span anymore. You are unusual. Yeah. Not in a bad way. So I don't spend a lot of time on my phone. That's fine. Great. That's how I have the attention span. <laughs> but it's a lot because if you don't know really good, then it takes a while to gather the threads. Yeah. Like it's there, but it, nobody's telling. They are telling you a story. There's a lot of filmmaking yeah. going on there that you a, don't even see. A ton. Yeah. But it's a lot. There's get, a lot of crafting. Longer. I think there's a lot of people don't realize how much is the audio from the on audio only track matched up to a. A visual, yeah, and not yeah. actually. And to yeah. me, to me, the real accomplishment there is that that somebody, you know, these are the lowest paid people, like went through all the footage, yeah, and cut out everything they didn't use, and that's just like that's the hardest job in show business people don't know about, you know. They, but they had to put together a story, but you know, you had to work for yeah. it, yeah, more than most things. It took them years and years and years. We need to talk about the finale. It all leads up to this moment where, for one brief and shining instant, they're the Beatles again. Yep, right. Mm-hmm. This concert is what's going to first be in a TV studio, and then in Libya, and then on a cruise, and then in the Scottish Highlands, or whatever the fuck they were saying. It ends up, they're just going to go on the, the roof of Abbey Road. First of all, they weren't quite sure the roof would hold them all. That would have been a, quite a tragic end to the band. That would have been a great end to the band. Not like really, but as a legend. As a metaphor. Yeah. Uh, the roof of Abbey Road collapses and kills them all. <laughs> the fucking, the but they go on this down. roof... It's them and a you know film crew and then their girlfriends, but they just get to be themselves for a minute. They haven't played together in front of people in years, and they just have to play their songs and just they're all smiling. Yep, George is smiling. You know they they have these looks on their faces like holy shit, this is awesome. Even the point where the cops come, there's a great moment where Paul turns around, sees the cops, turns back around, and he's gone like hee hee. Yeah, like this is great. And for however long that is, forty five minutes, it's like this is the Beatles. They sing the songs better than they did in rehearsal, like. I love it. It's great. It's so great. Peter Jackson did this brilliant thing where he told us this is the one from the record. Yes. Yeah. Which I thought was, was really Well, great. it's not not only that, I, I add to that, not only like tell you that this is the one for the record, but every time they're like futzing around and playing music, Peter Jackson put the song and who wrote yeah. it in the corner. Yeah. So you knew because and, and hearing him talk about it with Marin, he's like he's like, That was mainly for me because like I don't know, are they playing a Beatles song or play like I don't know what those were. So you want to give that context and you find out that these are guys who are in their late twenties who grew up he spent the last fifteen years loving rock and roll and when they're in between songs, they're just playing Chuck Berry songs. And they're playing all like the yeah. stuff of their childhood. Yeah, it's yeah. like every punk band would play Ramones songs. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, totally. But the, like you'd listen to the final performance or whatever any of them, and you'd hear it. You'd hear the one. Yep. Like this is pretty good. And then you go, oh, this must be it. And then the the thing would come up. And you'd be like, yes, I did. It. <laughs> and then and also, how good is that equipment? Because they're on yeah. a roof. Yeah. And oh, like oh, I bought the album because I I didn't own Let It Be for whatever reason, and surprisingly not, it was like back ordered, but I got it the vinyl and I was listening to it and I was like if you didn't know 
You'd have no idea they're they're recording. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, those fucking mics were yeah. those little Bob Marker mics on the end of the curve thing. Yeah. I've never heard a mic that good. It's really funny because it's like because I watched this with my wife, who who you know everybody likes the Beatles, right? And 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 yeah. and you know, but she's not as in you know as as you know music nerdy as as we tend to be and stuff like that. And she actually hadn't listened to Let It Be as a record in complete. Like she knew Long and Winding Road, she knew Let It Be, but like to watch it through her eyes and kind of discovering. I mean, like I remember in college declaring that Let It Be was my favorite Beatles record because I felt like it was the most you know kind of college rocky than any of them. You know, like it was. It it wasn't, you know, overproduced. It wasn't concept. It was just raw and it just like really, really good. And we're talking about it for hours in, in the record store that I worked at. And to hear her discover two of us and I've got a feeling and, <laughs> you know, one after 909 and like all the like all these great stuff. That was delightful. And now to hear her, just like I, I, I walk out of my office and she's playing the record and I hear my daughter singing two of us, you know, like it's like it's great to see that legacy kind of going. But it, you know, just shows that those songs are awesome. And like, it's funny how for years this has been like cast out as like the bad record or like the one that they broke up for. But it really has been honestly my favorite. It's a great record. And even I'm I'm actually pissed because I remember the moment over the summer when they announced the vinyl reissues and there's like the hundred and fifty dollar like you know super version. And Josh, we talked about it. And I'm like, ah, eh, I'm just I'm not gonna get that. I'm just gonna get the regular you know the the regular one. And now I'm regretting it because it has all the outtakes and like the Glenn Johns cuts. And I gotta say, th- there's a version of of dig it you see them do it and get back but it's like a four minute paul and john riffing on the whole dig it concept and like there's a point in get back where john's where they're talking about how few songs they have and john was talking about someone else's songs he's like well who, what am i saying he's like dig it is just it's just one line that's all i've written you know but like they did it for four minutes and it's just repetitive and like as i'm listening to that mix of glenn john's version i realized like this is no different than my bloody Valentine or like, or any of the shoegaze stuff I listen to, which is the same riff over and over again for eight minutes. It, like John was onto something decades before anyone else was onto it. And yeah, just amazing. So good. When you talk about, this is the thing with me is that you can talk about like, what's your favorite Beatles record? I've never been able to answer that. I can tell you what it is. It's yeah. It's, it's flex. It's changes. Yeah. It changes. The song but always me, changes. And there's like the people who are like, well, the early stuff is, is bullshit. I could listen to Please Please Me all day. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. great. Anyway, but that record, even if you do get like just sort of the regular Let It Be one. Wait, actually, I'm thinking of Abbey Road. Did George Martin's kid do Let It Be? He, he did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. They did both. the remix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Because I have the one you got me, which was, I guess, the stereo one from 09. Yeah. But I have the Giles Martin White Album, Sgt. Pepper's, and Abbey Road. And they're oh, yeah. so good. They're great. They really were. Yep. But enjoyment aside, as long lifelong Beatles fans, it was kind of awesome to see everyone sort of rallying around. And I don't know if it's because we're all still miserable and slightly depressed and, you know, we needed something joyful. Yeah. All these shows we watch are often very sad and crazy. Just to spend eight hours listening to great music and watching them make it. Oh, it's awesome. It seemed like the, the culture sort of rallied around that yeah. moment. Yeah. Around Thanksgiving. It was great that it came out at a time people could watch it. Yep. You know, you did have the time. Not everyone did, but you know, a lot of people had the time to actually spend eight hours watching it over a weekend. So I think it was a great cultural moment as well. Peter Jackson is a wonderful filmmaker, but I think he's a really wonderful documentarian. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's like Spike Lee. Spike Lee is also a really wonderful documentarian. doesn't really mm-hmm. get credit for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine the immense amount of work? Like, this is overwhelming. Imagine somebody hands you 100 hours of Beatles footage and says, make a documentary out of this. You'd have a breakdown. This is a guy who made The Lord of the Rings and then the Hobbit movie, so he's got experience with way too much footage. This is nothing. Yeah. I remember we saw the trailer, 
And mm-hmm. it was the first time that you'd ever seen them that clear. Right. You know, yeah. You know, it, just whatever that technology, that AI process that wasn't just cleaning up the picture, but the audio so that you could hear everybody. It's just the most amazing. Well, yeah, because they were, they were, they turned their amps up and were fussing around to cover, to, yeah. yeah, to cover, yeah, to cover up with like, their. You know how loud an amp yeah, is yeah, in a room, yeah. even low? Those are big yeah. 100 watt four speaker amps. What's funny though is that I kept forgetting. I'd be like, that must be why those mics sound so good. And then I'm like, no, this has been on a recorded album for 50 years. <laughs> yeah. I was like, right. That's true. Those, you know, like, <laughs> it, it clearly already sounded pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the mics were great. Wonderful. I know we, we've all been looking forward to this for a while since they first announced it. And it's gone through the various forms of single film to miniseries, but rarely has something so anticipated lived up to, and I think blown away expectations, at least for me. Yeah. Like, I was excited for it, but by the end of the first one, I was like, holy shit, this is, like, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Yeah. And then by the end of it, I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> like, I, like, give me the rest of the, of the footage. So like, that's how, how much I enjoyed it. You have to think about how much different the world was then, that the biggest stars in the world just let that happen as a thing. And, the, you know, they didn't really have lawyers. They didn't have... Uh, right. You know, to the extent that we're like, you, sh- you can't do this. You know, because it wouldn't happen today. And if it did... it it would be packaged. It would It would not look like this. Yeah. And it's the biggest and most important rock band of all time. I want to end this conversation by asking, who was your favorite minor, minor character? I mean, he's not like a new character, but I really loved watching Mal Evans just be all in for these guys. Yeah. He was so excited to hit that anvil. Yeah. His, yeah. And he's just he like, he was just like, he's just such a good dude. Like he's just, and you'd see him, and he is exactly like I've seen the image of him a billion times, but like he is exactly the guy that you think looking at him. Yeah, I was a big fan of that. Yeah, the standout for me was Glenn Johns, not because of his wardrobe, just because of his smoking and drinking and apparently not working. (laughs) (laughs) You could make an argument because I wouldn't call it my favorite, but I don't know that anybody was more interesting than Michael Lindsay Hall. Like, well, yeah, he was this dude. If, if there was a villain of the movie, it's him. But <laughs> my favorite was uh, PC Ray Dag, who oh, that's what I said. <laughs> tried to shut down the performance. <laughs> oh, the cop, 15, yeah, the fifteen-year-old. Yeah, he was like nineteen. I, I, what I loved was crazy. the. I, I loved was the. Surely they don't have to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the stalling tactics by the by yes. the by the employees what? at Abbey Road. They're like, oh yeah, we're we're still looking for him. Yeah, can't find him. He's like, oh, okay. One of them gave like he was given like advice. He was like, he was like, well, you know, they do. You can record this in a studio, right? right. Yeah. He's like, maybe like, they didn't think of it. Maybe they didn't think of the it. Album? Surely they don't have to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I loved every minute of that. And then a guy came in looking for his paycheck, and they still uh, deal with him for a while. I love when they finally get up on the roof, and Mal turned the amps off, and George flips around and yells at him, and turns it back on. Like that was that was that was great. That was good. It was so good. It made me so happy. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. We've been waiting to have this conversation for two months. Yeah. People don't know how close we keep getting to this, having this conversation, but kept veering off to wait for oh, to do it so on good. microphones. Not quite as good as the ones the Beatles had. So there you go. If you want to watch the Beatles Get Back, it's on Disney+. Plus. And uh, I encourage anyone who hasn't watched it to watch it, even if you're not a huge Beatles fan, just to watch the creative process. Oh, it's totally, it's totally really worth it. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. There's the media explode for this month. Brought to you by the patrons at patreon.com. But we'll be back next month. Apparently, we're talking about the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. See, that's a commitment. Is it going to be done by next month? Yeah, I'll be done. It started at the end of December. Yeah, it's six episodes, eight episodes, six episodes. I don't know. By the time we I'm record, like it'll George be right now. I'm yeah. gonna see you guys at the club. <laughs> Walking out over this. <sighs> All right. Well, until then, I'm Connor. I'm Ron, and I'm leaving.
I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going home. <laughs> so do the thing for us one more time. Come on. Oh, oh, this is my favorite. I forgot about that. Do it. Just for us. Listen, I'll play what you want to play or not play. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to please you. You know, I'll do whatever you want. But the thing is, I just don't think you know what that is. I'd never heard that last line before. Oh. <laughs> She gets it while she can. 